Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together, and yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. Today, we have a very special guest who I've been wanting to talk to for quite some time, and I'll share why, so stay tuned. But I do have my friend and classmate, Jennifer Berkemeyer, joining us today. So thank you, Jennifer, for, for being on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yes, we're going to have a good time. One thing I wanted to ask you is, can you run through like elementary and junior high? Because where, where, where was all that? So I was born in Michigan, um, in Midland, but we actually moved around quite a bit. And I didn't okay. settle here. We did not move here until seventh grade. So I was I started at West Maple uh, Middle School which is now an elementary, West Maple Elementary. So that's where yeah. I started in seventh grade. So I was not here for elementary. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then yeah. we just caught right back up. So I, I met you uh, at, at Groves. And yes. um, interesting thing that I wasn't sure, have you been in the yearbook in a while? <laughs> no, I really okay. haven't. So I was just trying to see, I saw, I, I like to just verify what everybody was involved with, you know, to, to jog my memory. And you are listed on Amanda's page for some other uh, activity that she did. So it's funny. There's all these pages with you and Amanda. My sister? And it, no. Yes. And so, oh, okay. It, but, but it's under you. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. I, I found an error in our yearbook. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that my sister and I had that much in common in high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was wondering. So, but, but it did show you for gymnastics. So I wanted to verify yes. if that was actually factual. Okay. Oh yes. Yes. If, yeah, I was, I was on gymnastics and Julie Cerati and I have many fond, funny memories of being on that team together. So yes, definitely. Were you always involved in that? Because by high school, you pretty much, you have to be really good. I mean, I remember yeah. going to well, see a couple practices in the gym when I'd be walking by, but it scared the crap out of me. Actually, I'm going to correct you. You did not have to be really good because none of us oh. were really good on that team. None of us. Um, we were kind of like the bad news bears a little bit. I mean, not the drinking and the smoking part, but like just the, the bad part. And no, okay. no disrespect to, to a couple of the teammates who were really good. Yes, I did gymnastics. I had loved gymnastics ever since I was a little girl and did gymnastics like in one way or another, um, really uh, on the team. And then even after after high school, I took a class at Michigan State University and got like a half a credit or a credit for oh. gymnastics at MSU. And then after college, I even taught it to little kids with a company that went around to different daycares and stuff and taught fun little 
Um, yeah, it was really cute. So, and then after a while, it you you have no place doing gymnastics in your twenties, and it just started like my back. I I just couldn't my back couldn't take it anymore. So unfortunately, I had to stop. But I still love to watch it. And uh, but yeah, our team, our poor team, we had like two good people on it, and everybody else was just like. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would you know. get so disoriented. I could never yeah. do what you did. Like, you know, I need to, I could barely stand upright, let alone tumbling and then find my way back to the mat. So everyone has a different feeling about high school. So do you have anything that sticks out good or bad about something that really, you know, changed the course of your thinking or that, you know, really when you think back in high school, it's the first memory you have? You know, I feel like, to be honest, I was still kind of finding my way in high school. I, yeah. I had some great friends, but I feel like I was a little lost and maybe other people would say, oh yeah, for sure. But I, looking back, I feel like some people were so super confident and here I was just kind of wandering around trying to find my way. And I don't mm -hmm. feel like I gained that like personal confidence until college for whatever reason. I think everybody develops that at a different stage. For me, it was kind of like in college, but met some amazing people. Um, like I already mentioned, Julie and Debbie Dubensky and I, she were, Thank she you. was my bestie and, and Carla Walker, who's Carla Walker Goodhart now. She, she and I were also yeah. great friends, just being kind of wide eyed about everything. Um, I do have a great memory of Mr. Buck's court cases class. Like yes. People ask me, I don't know if anybody, I think that was like an elective maybe. And so not everybody got to take it or something, but it was, and then especially when people started hearing about how amazing it was, people really wanted to take that. But that's one of my yes. great memories. I I liked English too. Uh, Mr. Wilson, people have commented on his really unique teaching style. Um, <laughs> tell me tell me something about, no, it was, sorry, say something about, and then he would say it. And it was always these really like obscure mentions of the section we were supposed to read. And so I do remember that it just, you know, a lot of fun times. Oh, oh, I have something. Can I say something yes. else? Yes. I passed out after giving blood at high school. And I don't know if people, <laughs> so my memory of it is that Christine Wick, so because I was always on a diet in high school, like fad diets, you know, before we knew what was healthy and what was all not. of us. So yeah, I, all of us. Right. So I mm -hmm. got to school that day and there was a blood drive. And mm -hmm. because we didn't have all this information about you're supposed to eat before you give blood. I was mm -hmm. on this fad diet. It was like two in the afternoon. I hadn't eaten anything. So I go to give blood, give blood, um, sit up. And then they set you down at a table where you're supposed to drink juice and eat sugar cookies to get your you know, mm -hmm. the sugar back going on and all that. And so I'm, nothing's wrong. I'm sitting at the table and I'm eating sugar cookies and I'm talking to Chris Wick, who's sitting right across from me. And all of a sudden I can't hear what she's saying, but I can see her lips moving. And then she's leaning toward me and she's like, Jenny, Jenny. And I, and that is the last thing I remember. And then I woke up in the nurse's office and she was like, you passed out. And I'm like, oh, my God. I and then and then I went to the there was like a football game later and everybody was like are you okay and then as an adult I look back at that and I'm like what did I look like what did I look like as I like fell over I don't know that's the only thing I could think of was how what did I look like I was trying to get involved in you know some student office and I did the blood drive so oh I was giving the cookies and the juice and everything, and I don't recall that. So I hopefully, <laughs> you know, didn't help you faint. But uh, I remember every girl coming in with yeah. the same reaction, which is I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten because that's how we live. 
And it was like, I, I'm sure you weren't the only one that passed out, but it was right by the <laughs> auditorium and we all were, you know, lined up. I remember that. So I was, yeah. I was part of the culprit that made you faint. I'm sure that's funny. So you are in Farmington currently. Yes. When did you leave the Birmingham area? After college, I I I lived moved home after college. Did you go to MSU friend, or where did you? I did go to Michigan okay. State. Yep. I had met this uh, group of people at MSU who were amazing, and I particularly best friends with this one girl. And she and I had got the travel bug, and we decided the best time to travel to take a big trip is right after college when you don't really have, you know, huge commitments, you haven't got a job yet. And so a lot of people were going to go to Europe for their little mm -hmm. travel thing. And, and we, she and I decided to go to Australia. It was like the time of in excess and, um, you oh, know, uh, crocodile Dundee. And like, we were just caught up in the whole Australia thing. And so I lived at home with my parents for a year. She lived at home. We saved a bunch of money and we went to Australia and the South Pacific for three months. It was amazing. When I came back, I lived at home a little bit longer, mm. saved a little bit more money than I rented a home in Royal Oak for a little while. At some point I got married. Um, I was married for almost three years, not the world's shortest marriage, but you know, and then, and we lived in Southfield. Mm -hmm. After that, I lived in Redford for a little while. And then I bought a home in Farmington Hills 23 years ago. And that's where I've been for 23 years. So amazing. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned Redford. I know this is going to sound really silly, but I know you'll understand. So I, I lived in Dearborn when I got married. Okay. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, like, not where am I? I obviously knew where Dearborn was. But it's just so funny where you're just in your little radius in your bubble. And then when I moved to Troy, if you had told me I was going to live in Troy, I mean, back in the day when we were at Groves High School, crossing Big Beaver or doing any of that or like going that direction just seems so far away. Absolutely. And now oh, you're there. like, oh, yeah. uh, you live in Shelby Township. Yeah. You live. It's just amazing right. how the world opened it up. But, uh, yeah, you know, definitely. I don't know if you felt that way when you were in Redford, but once I... You know, yeah. went further away. It was like, gosh, I'm in such a different area. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to get to something we have in common and why I was drawn to having you be a guest, which, of course, I wanted you to because we went to school together. Mm -hmm. But speaking of Facebook, you know, your story, I've been watching for quite some time. And that's what's interesting about Facebook. Not everybody interacts directly with everyone. But right. there, your storyline hit me like a ton of bricks, which I've shared with you before we, mm -hmm. we got together. But for those of you that um, don't know my story, around the same time that Jennifer went through her adoption story, which she's going to share here. I was doing the very same thing. So I had a son already through my divorce, my first marriage, and always wanted to have more children, but did not want to go back down that aisle again. Like you've had your engagement that you've canceled. I, I've done that before. And, uh, but I always knew I wanted to be a mother with a larger family. Like that was my story of being a mom wasn't quite over yet. So I had gone through that whole process of wanting to adopt a child from another country. I started locally. I went through Catholic social services. They told me to look on the website, you know, for like 17 year old kids, which I was like, I'm going to have one that's not going to listen to me sooner than later. And it was really an arduous process. So I had such an interest in your story because I feel, and this is me speaking, so I want to hear your viewpoint. 
I feel like it's a it's a journey that no one can can fully grasp. And I was really surprised by the support I received from unsuspecting people and the questions I got from really close friends. And I just kept going through it no matter what. And I couldn't get why it was even a question, if that makes sense. It was a really lonely process for me only because like, I just don't think anybody really understood that I could take this on, love a child unconditionally. And why am I doing that? And so fast forward and Jennifer knows the story. I was actually going through Guatemala. You have to do all your paperwork, your home study, your fingerprints. And it didn't work out because Guatemala's government shut down. And then I went to Panama and it ended up being a girl that didn't exist. I was two weeks before flying out. And it wasn't the miscarriage that a lot of women go through, which is a whole nother process. And I don't want to undermine what that does to someone emotionally. But for me to get that close after a two and a half year journey, thinking this is my child, right? And falling in love with this picture and this potential and this family and it disappears, I couldn't get over how dismissive everyone was by it. Yeah. And and we've talked about, so that's why I'm so wanting to open up this dialogue. That's just the negative side. There's a whole bunch of positives. But did you go through this with open arms with all your families and friends and, and walk through me for how you decided to do it and yeah. what the... So first of all, Leanne, you're, you're completely right. And like I expressed to you when you first told me this story, and I appreciate your sharing it with me, I completely understand, or I can understand how you felt. It's it's incredibly personal. People mm-hmm. are going to have different experiences, you know, no matter, you know, everybody's going to have a different experience. But I will say you are right in that it's deeply personal. It becomes something so intense that only the person going through it can understand it. And people just don't understand. And I don't mean that in a, like a, oh, you wouldn't understand kind of way, but I'm just being, you know, honest in that what's in a woman's heart, you know, like you could sit there and talk about it for three, four, you know, for as long as you want. And even sometimes the most well-meaning people, they just, you know, they just cannot understand the the intensity that that's um, taking place there. And a lot of people say when they first saw the photo, and I will say that was probably one of the most pivotal moments of my entire life. I got my first photo maybe eight months after I started the process. And I which is actually really, fast for people. Yeah. Listening. Yeah. It's that's very right. quick. And I will never forget that seeing the email like the subject line, I don't remember the subject line, but it was, you know, like, what do you think or something like that? I don't remember, but I knew what it was because I mm-hmm. had been told to expect it pretty soon. And I remember where I was sitting, how I took, I had my laptop in my lap and I took a deep breath and I clicked on the picture and I didn't even hesitate. And I wrote right back and I said, yes, of course, she's beautiful. And so some, some people say like that is the time when they become yours. And for me, like, so I adopted from Haiti. Uh, for a lot of people know that. Some people don't. Before you get that picture, you're not limited to that picture. Your your mind is everywhere. What is, now I had, I had specified a girl. So I knew it's going to be a girl. So what is she going to look like? How old is she going to be? What is she going to be wearing? Uh, what's her personnel? I mean, there's all of these different things. And so honestly, I had made space 
for a little girl in my heart, even before I saw, you know, the image. And then you get the picture. And even though you have a picture, I didn't get any videos. So I didn't know what she sounded like, how she felt, how heavy or light she was, her personality. Could she, could she walk? I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff, but immediately they become, they're, they're your child. Mm-hmm. And so the process goes on. So how old was she when you actually went? And let's talk about that conditions, like when you got there. So I had gotten to visit her orphanage in 2011 when I had been matched with her. And we'd gotten special permission before we went in 2011 with the church to go to the orphanage. And we spent a few hours at her orphanage. But I will say, and this is what I call my my ultrasound moment, like, I have younger friends and I even see them posting those ultrasound pictures, you know, that right. everybody posts. They're beautiful. And it's the first 3D, picture that you get the 40. beautiful little outline of your, you know, and I, I didn't have that, but my ultrasound moment was the first time I saw my daughter. I had only pictures so far. I'd had like, I had maybe a dozen pictures and, you know, to be honest, she looked a little different. Each one, she had different clothes on, they had her hair different. So I went into that orphanage not sure if I would recognize her. And and then when we got there and it was insanity and there were kids running around everywhere, lots of little girls that her age, and I'm trying to look at each one and get a full look at every little face. And I was like, and the director of our trip, he asks, the goes, walks right up to one of the nannies who's sitting there and says, which one's Widma, which was her Haitian name, which one's Widma. And the nannies like pointed her and John taps me on the shoulder and goes, is that your daughter? And I turned around and there she is in the middle of the room, just standing there looking around like this, completely bewildered at all the craziness that's happening. And I took one look at her and I was like, that's her. And that was the first time I saw her. I knew in a heartbeat, it was her. And I bent down kind of with tears in my eyes and picked her up and she started bawling, (laughs) crying. I was like, Oh, no, no, that's not how this is supposed to go. But uh, anyway, it was so that was my moment. And um, she Which was is true parenting, by the way, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing goes how it's supposed to, right? It's no. not yet. Yeah, nothing is storybook. But um, oh, yes, yeah, so tears in my eyes. Uh, you know, we got to spend the next few hours together. I did get her to stop crying. She got, and just when she got used to me and was kind of like hugging me, and she was like, so she would have been like two at the time. Okay. Uh, maybe two and a half. She so she because I took her upstairs and she wasn't she up to that point she'd not been allowed to go upstairs. They had like a baby gate across. I took her upstairs and I was carrying her. And at that point she started she was pointing out where she wanted to go, you know. Oh. So here she was pointing to that she wanted to look out the windows. She pointed to the windows and I was showing her the windows and um then she wanted to read a book and so I was trying to I think the book was in English. She didn't understand a word I said because, you know, different (laughs) language. But um, and then right when she was starting to feel comfortable with me and had accepted me, it was like we had to go. And so that was that was like, but I knew it. Thank goodness I had prepared myself for that because, I mean, people were asking me before we walked in, they were like, how are you even going to be able to leave? And I'm like, look, I got this, <laughs> you know, I, I know the process. I'm going to follow I, it. And I know where the right. ending is going to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm prepared. Like it's a preparation in your heart. I just, I mm-hmm. had to, I knew it wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be leaving with her. I knew I was mm-hmm. going to get to meet her and then have to leave. I do want to pause because I think you've set up 
what Haiti is like with the children. And it's prompted you, two things you did is you've embraced the culture your daughters come from in a beautiful way, which is wonderful. And then it became, you know, life with a purpose for you after the adoption. You could have come home, assimilated into everyday life, and, and that was that. But you really have taken on a new avenue and a challenge to support and provide safety and security for the children even today. So do you want to take a moment and run through, because I just wanted to have the story come up and then you ended up sharing on Facebook, this news article that was, and I know it's not just you, it's a whole village of people that are, are working towards a, a better cause for the children of Haiti, but what an impressive thing you've done to oh, continue on honoring your daughter and, and the children of Haiti. So We'll fast forward really quick to current day and your passion project that you currently are doing. Well, thank you so much. So, yeah, I just, uh, you know, after my first couple of trips to Haiti and especially the trip to the, the visit we made to the orphanage, and I've also been to a children's hospital in Haiti, which is just as staggering, I guess, to look at. I just came back from my trips with this nagging feeling I can do something. I'm only one mm -hmm. person. I am not wealthy, but I know I can do something. Even if I just came back with this idea that, you know, because the issues there are so overwhelming that I knew, and that stopped me for a long time. I was like, I can't, I'm it's not going to make too any, big. it's yeah. too big. I cannot make any impact there. But then I reframe that. And I tell people this a lot. I knew I could help one person. Like I knew that for mm. sure. I just need to find out who, how, and I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so gradually, and the, but then when I, first brought her home, I was a single mom and I was so overwhelmed. I went from being a single mom to a, to like a parent overnight to a four-year-old, a beautiful four-year-old girl. So my life was a whirlwind and I had to put that aside for a little while. But a few yeah. years later, I started thinking about that again. And I got in touch with one of our translators from my trips to Haiti. Uh -huh. He helped me locate a shelter for boys in Haiti who formerly unhoused or children with, with no family support in Haiti. Um, I had read about it. I wanted to reach out to them and help. They were in a desperate situation. He helped me get in touch with the director there. We supported. So then I, I said, well, I'm gonna, I can't do this on my own. I reached out to some of my really good, you know, friends who I knew would be amazing on a board of directors. I got this group of people together, started my own organization. I call it Avec U, which is Haitian Creole for with you. That is the like the really, really basic message of our entire organization is that we mm -hmm. are supporting and we are with them. So it's had a, one other iteration where we supported this shelter for boys in Haiti. That shelter no longer exists due to um, the unrest in the country right now and the fact that the mm -hmm. government has stopped supporting it. Um, so we started our own home and we, I took the advice of my directors in Haiti. I give them, I trust them implicitly. They know their country. I do not. I've only been there a few times. Uh, so I trust their feedback. I trust their advice. And they said they wanted to start their own home. So that's what I do. I have six amazing, amazing board members, all women. I, that's not how I started it out. And I will, Hey, any guys out there want to get involved? You are. You are welcome. That's um, right. <laughs> this is not just a girl thing, but that's how it's ended up. And some of them are friends I've known for a long time. 
from college. One of them is my sister. Some folks who are new, who I've met, you know, in my professional career, we meet once a month. Our main goal is to raise enough money, raise awareness, raise funds to support what they want to do in Haiti. And uh, what this is, is a, what we have is a youth transition shelter or home, youth transition home in Haiti because of just families die, you know, parents, people, I think the life expectancy in Haiti is in the lower 60s. Um, there's disease, very preventable diseases, but access to, to medical care is is almost non-existent unless you have unless you're wealthy there, which is only I think five percent of the population. Lots of reasons children in Haiti find themselves without a home or in a situation, a home situation where they're being abused. Uh, unfortunately, there's a child, a large child slave population and problem in Haiti. So a lot of times kids end up leaving their situation and finding and trying to live in the streets. And I'm talking mainly about the capital of Port-au-Prince, where oh. it's crowded, congested, mm -hmm. and dangerous, even in the best of situations, and especially now if you keep up with the news on Haiti. So the government, our directors at our home, work directly with the Haitian social services to identify the most at risk, and they bring these kids to our home. Um, there's kind of an interview process. Uh, we make sure the kids are ready to be in a home. And then they are, they get, they share a room, they get food, access to education, they get clothes, toiletries, they get something they haven't had in a very long time, which is safety and a feeling of security. They get mm -hmm. access to a mental health counselor. They get occasional like art, other life skills, uh, entrepreneurial. We, we taught them how to make soap once. Um, we've had artists come in. We've had people come in and teach them dance lessons. They do scout talks where they just talk about, you know, life, life skills and, and how to be a professional in, in the professional world. And we we provide trade school opportunities to the older kids, like 15, 16, 17. They can go to trade school. Um, learning how to sew in Haiti will at least get you a chance at a job in one of the, the garment mm -hmm. factories. Uh, we've sent kids to sewing school. We've sent kids to backhoe school. So learning a construction skill will also get you a, a really good chance at a job there. Tiling is another thing that's important there. Uh, windows, like putting windows in. So, and then the younger kids, they go to just like a K, K to 12 school. And, and you had mentioned like some of these kids, you know, previously to you trying to pull this building together, were sleeping in the kitchen of some of these buildings. Oh, yeah. So, you so know. the, the, yeah, the, when we were supporting the, the shelter for boys, for 150 boys. I read a news article about the conditions there and I was horrified. And then yeah. when my friend in Haiti met the director, he sent me some pictures that he took. He took a tour of that and the mattresses were long gone and they just had the metal frames. And so they were essentially hanging their, the metal frames of the beds had become like places for them to hang their clothes after they washed them. So that's where they hung their clothes. And they were just literally sleeping on the concrete floors anywhere they could find room in this, this building that at one time was very nice, but that was in the 60s and the 70s. Their kitchen hadn't functioned. The stove stopped working a long time ago. So they were building fires in the courtyard anytime they wanted to cook anything. They were fortunate to get one or two meals a day. It, it was just like I... I it, the toilets had stopped working a long time ago, no money to get them fixed. So they were just, they had like 
removed the plumbing and just using the holes in the ground. I mean, I, I could go on and I would. I, I, and this is where, I mean, I just think what you're doing is, is wonderful. So necessary, life-saving, all of those good things, combining it with help and resources for education mm -hmm. and, and, and skills. Yeah. And I just, I think that you may be a mother of one in the United States, but you're the mother of many in Haiti, oh, right? That's I, really sweet. Thank you so much. You know, and I, and I should say the goal, the goal of every, of one of our children there is to place them back with family in Haiti. Um, mm -hmm. Haiti's actually going through a movement, a social movement right now where they want to kind of get away from um, orphanages as the solution to their large, you know, uh, orphan, like the children that don't have um, families there, mm -hmm. move away from adopting them outside of the country, but rather use transition shelters like like ours um, to help kids heal. And all of that time, as they're going through that process of healing and, and putting the trauma behind them, Haitian Social Services is looking for family members. Because often in Haiti, there's a family member who can step up and say, I'll, I'll take that child. You know, I'd be happy to take that child. Um, it could be a sister, a grandma, a, a, a whatever. And if they can't locate actual biological family, they will find a foster family. And so we've we've had a couple of successful transitions. I don't know if you're aware. I mean, we could probably go on about this adoption journey for quite a while. One of the things I don't want people to miss hearing you say and what you're doing is, uh, I, and I, I mentioned it, I think, a little bit on the phone, but I don't know that we do, went um, in a deep dive. Sometimes in TikTok, I can go down a uh, a path of um, a subject. And there are a lot of children who were from adoption who have a conflict on um, what it means to be adopted. And mm -hmm. it's stopped me in my tracks because, of course, I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing and I you know, want to expand my family. And I'm now very conscious whether I agree or not, it's another voice, right? Of Absolutely. the other side. And we're going to you yeah. know, explore that even with, with your daughter. So I don't want the message of what you're doing to get lost, that what you're doing is not to create this environment that's better for these children to be shipped off to the United States. You're wanting to assimilate them within their own country, which is the mm -hmm. first frame of thought. And if that can't be, you know, obviously right. adoption is a, a beautiful outcome, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you are doing something so incredible to, to, make that transition back to a family member. And I don't want that get, to get lost either, because that is a huge uh, change of thought that a lot of these orphanages, as you use that term, whether yeah. it's in Russia or China or whatever, um, your approach is so unique and noteworthy. And I just want to pause and make, oh, well, make sure you. that that's acknowledged. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you so much. Um, and you know what? I, I am not going to like... I'm not going to go there. I, I mean, I, I, I have mixed feelings, hundred percent mixed feelings. Obviously mm -hmm. I, the only way I, as it turns out, was able to become a mom was through adoption. So I'm never going to knock it. I'm right. <laughs> I'm, like it brings need and need together. And Correct. it's, of course it is not like, I mean, this is not the path that many of us choose. Um, if you'd have told me 20 plus years ago that I was going to, be single and have an, uh, a daughter from Haiti, I'd be like, no, 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 nope. 
I'm going to be married and I'm going to have a couple kids and, you know. Right. Um, so it's not it, but it does help a lot of people on both Absolutely. sides. It Absolutely. helps a lot of people. And, and I, fortunately, I, um, I haven't had a lot of, there's so, and there's so many in, I think in any subject, if you dig into it, there's, there's a lot of negativity, um, even in things that seem awesome. But if you go just below the surface, um, there's a lot of criticism directed at, let's say folks like me, um, bringing, you know, like I'm not a suitable mom for, for a, a child of color. Like I've had that right. thrown at me a, a little bit. Um, but for the most part, 99% has been completely supportive. Amazing, amazing support from everybody, mm -hmm. everybody I come into contact with. So I'm not going to, but there is a lot of, it's a complicated issue. It's complex. It is. And it is. so we look at it as it's what Haiti prefers now. It is what they would like to do. They see some, they see their children as their future. Like it's, there's even songs yeah. that have been written with that title, I think anyway, but right. it's true. And so they, what they see is they're these beautiful children getting adopted to not only just the United States, but France everywhere. And so there's this movement. They are saying, Hey, um, why are we doing this? Why can't we try and keep some of these amazing little, you know, bits of our future here? And so that's the movement. But you're right. It's a very complicated issue with strong, strong feelings right. on both sides. So there was a moment in my life when I looked into that abyss and I got out. I'm like, I don't even I don't want to know what people are saying and what they think, because it's just really about me and my daughter. <laughs> Hi, this is Jennifer Berkemeyer, founder of the nonprofit organization Avec U, which means with you in Haitian Creole. Today, I'm going to share my story of how and why I started a nonprofit that supports critically vulnerable children in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I've loved and been fascinated with Haiti ever since college so many years ago. I've made three trips to Haiti and, as a single parent, adopted a beautiful four-year-old girl from Haiti who is now 14 and the light of my life. She's also the inspiration for my nonprofit that focuses on at-risk kids in Haiti. Imagine being in a distant country, surrounded by incredible need, and witnessing impossible human challenges. What if you knew that with a bit of effort and support, you could change the direction of a life, or two lives, or a family, or even a community? Every man, woman, and child around this world deserves a chance at success and to live proudly and with dignity. This understanding represents the true essence of our mission, to heal, uplift, and empower our most vulnerable citizens. Thanks to the support of my amazing friends and family, Avagu has a beautiful transition home in Haiti where about a dozen children live as they heal from trauma and strengthen as they prepare for family and community reintegration. Our organization is small, but our impact is mighty. I invite you to be a part of this incredible journey. Regardless of where you are in life, Avegu has a place for you. We welcome your support, no matter what form that may take. You can follow us on social media, donate a one-time donation, become a monthly donor, or shop from our online store, which has items that are inspired by our children in Haiti. We can help you turn your empathy into action. Visit our website at www.avegu.org A-V-E-K-O-U.org to learn more and to get involved. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you.
I appreciate your time so much and um, have a great rest of the weekend and enjoy the fall season. You've been so complimentary of me. You are amazing. You are amazing with what you're doing, with how much uh, you're bringing into the lives of other people. This is nobody else is nobody else is doing this. You're doing it. So this is amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, that's very sweet. Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk again. I look forward to obviously seeing you next summer at the reunion, but until then we're going to, we're going to keep in touch. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Jennifer. All right, friends. That's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.